HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode has been brought to you by Sake Man, a group of sake superheroes bringing sake to the world. This week on Meet and 3, we're looking at factors that will shape our food world in 2019. We start with trend predictions and how media covers them. A website could theoretically devote all their coverage to these viral trends and, and get all sorts of hits. That's not a way to build sustainable readerships, just as it's not a way to build you know, sustainable restaurants. We report on a big change coming and how street meat will be served. On January 1st, a ban on plastic foam went into effect in New York City. And we round out the episode with a story about using gene editing to create the spicy tomato of the future. At first, it sounds like a, like a gimmick or like something that you would do for fun. The truth is, there is a real value behind it. It's not too late to make your resolution. Subscribe to Meet and 3 wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a single episode this year. Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am one half your host, Darren Bresnitz. This week, Greg is over in London's East End, sitting down with sommelier and restaurateur Charlie Mellor. He's the owner of The Laughing Heart, a contemporary restaurant that specializes in one of our favorites, natural wines. Charlie has one of the more interesting backgrounds that we've ever come across in someone who runs a restaurant. He is a former professional opera singer who made his debut in native Australia. We are also at the Danger Bird Records studio to hear one hell of a live performance from the Pantheons, a post-punk quartet coming out of L.A. South Central. So sit back, relax, and enjoy Snacky Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We talk about food. We talk about music. With musical dudes. Finger on the pulse. Snacky Tunes. Give me everything in all I desire To call me for Syria, the devil to admire 
Snacky Tunes. I'm one half your host, Greg Bresnitz. I'm sitting in the cave, or the cob, mm. if you will, the Laughing Heart in Shoreditch. Yeah, just just outside Shoreditch on Hackney Road. Yes, yeah. and that voice is Charlie Miller. Welcome to Snacky Tunes. Hi there. Uh, we met on Monday, but we have many mutual friends, and uh, it's such a pleasure. It was such a wonderful wow. meal. With the uh, How many of those collaboration dinners did you do was with Calm from Paris? That was just the one. Just the one. one off the way. Issa went for one on it. It was really fantastic. Yeah. Uh, look, before we get into this amazing, amazing place, let's go back. Cool. Before wine, before that, when you sang your first note, because you trained as an opera singer, and I've always wondered, because I've never gotten a chance to speak to one, when did you realize that you had a voice for opera? You know, it's, it, it, I, th- I think it's probably different for everyone. Uh, for me, it happened quite quickly. Like, I, I decided to start pursuing um, sort of considered vocal study as a hobby just after I finished high, high school. Okay. It was something I, I'd always been a musician. I was a jazz trombonist and I was really interested in, you know, uh, ex- continuing to sort of, you know, ex- explore music uh, after, after school. And... Uh, you know, when it, when it had, an, an, you know, it used to do the school musical and all that kind of stuff. I had a good fun. You know, I could carry a chin and you know, I liked it. But the, the first time I had a lesson, I had a teacher say, have you been to, uh, have you been to the opera? Uh, and I said, no. And she, she said, look, you should go and you should, you know, see if this is something that's interesting for you. Because if you wanted, this could be, you know, this, uh, this could be work for you. And, uh. Well, it was less than 12 months later, I think I made my professional debut. Uh, it was a pretty quick transition for do me. Do you remember that teacher's name? Yeah, yeah, I certainly do. A very beautiful woman called Janice Lang. I mean, you have to wonder, like, what do what do teachers see? Like, that's when teachers are at their best. I mean, we've talked about in the show. It's like they, they have all these ex- experience. They have all these students come through and they say, you know what, jazz trombonist, I think you could be the very brilliant career of an opera singer. Have you ever gone back and asked her, like, what did you see? Uh, I don't know that I that I directly have no, but uh, I mean, I, I, you know, I, this is a it's a very small town in you know, well, Perth, Western Australia. It's the most isolated city in the world. I don't know that necessarily the standard of uh, you know was 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 as high there as it is in some parts of the world. Um, but uh, I, th- I think that she probably just enjoyed the fact that she had discovered someone whose voice was naturally suited and has a, you know, a physiology and a, a sort of uh, and a sound imagination, if you like, to kind of get into that space and make those kind of noises. Sound imagination is a very specific term for for opera. Describing when you began to like look at your voice in a, in a more critical way, what did you discover, and what did you have to build to get to the soloist career that you had? Well, I mean, I think that the, the uh, one of the very beautiful things about the um, uh, classical vocal production is that it is inherently designed to not just be beautiful but to also be as efficient as possible I mean one of the ways in which you, when you're making the most beautiful noises it's very often hand in hand with uh, the healthiest vocal production which will give you the stamina and the, you know the, the, to, to, uh, to interpret the great roles um, and I think that uh, the, the pedagogy of, of, of uh, vocal practice is about understanding how to achieve that as regularly as possible and, uh, and how to access it from challenging moments within, you know, vocal pressure or stress and then have it become a technique that you can turn into a craft. What was the first part or piece or aria or song or snippet that you felt that you mastered? 
Ooh, well, I, I don't know that I that I, okay. that I, that I, I ever did master anything, and I'm, I guess you know, as we all know, that's maybe it's an idea we never would. But I, it's, there's, there were oh, look, there might have been a few Italian art songs, um, you know, mostly sort of, sort of uh, late Romantic sort of era, kind of uh, in the late 19th, early 20th century, from around um, Naples and that part of Italy that that. Yeah, it helped me discover a resonance in my voice, if you like. Uh, there's certainly pieces of German leader, which are often associated with quite light voices, which I definitely wasn't, um, uh, that, that helped me find a, a healthiness and freshness in my voice as well. You know, it's a few penny drop pieces that I felt, you know what, I, 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 I performed that really seamlessly and, that, and in the process of doing that learned a lot. 2008, you moved to the UK. That's right. And yeah. you, you started working at the Guildhall School of Music, but you also was working away as a psalm. When did you pick up your love of wine, and how did you discover, where did wine enter the story? Wine entered the story for me uh, it's, uh, at around the same time that, that music became a, like a serious consideration of interest. When I was a teenager, you could say when I was playing music and, and all these type of things, uh, I, I, I remember uh, being offered the opportunity when I was a young guy to try a, a, a glass of a 1991 Trimbach Riesling Grand Cru, not the closest to it, something with no residual sugar. And uh, all of my, you know, my father's mates were big manning it around this bottle of wine and talking about how grassy it was and everything. And I was very lucky just to have a look in at the tender age of 15 or something. And I remember putting the nose, my nose to the glass and feeling this very sort of notable sensation of almost being like in suspended animation and, and, and being lost in wine for the very first time and listening in, the, in, the, in the, 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 the great distance to these guys waffling on about grassy notes and this and that. And I distinctly remember coming and saying to myself, this is uh, fresh deal that I'm smelling right here. To pull from a friend, non-donkey's ass. No, 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 there was no, there was no donkey's ass in that wine. <laughs> no donkey's ass in that wine, although I'm sure that there's a context under which donkey's ass could be pretty delicious as well. But uh, yeah, this, Thank you, this particular wine yeah, was, um, was pure as the driven snow. And, uh, but I remember just having that connection from like a lightning bolt to the head of some sort of neural pathway. And it was very, very meaningful. And so I, I started enjoying wine at a really young age. I started enjoying Gastronomy at a young age, and uh, when my first job out of high school, uh, when I you know, was studying at university, was to uh, was 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 as a, a waiter in a restaurant, and became a sommelier by the time I was eighteen, and was just sort of doing these things in and around. It was just pursuing my interests. Did you see the connection between the two? I mean, we've covered a lot of ground in the, in the show about the you know the intangible values of being a musician or being a cook or being involved in food or creating a song, but at that age. Did opera seem like one track, and being a psalm seem like one track, and you didn't really, or did you seem or crossover? No, I, th I think I think they probably did feel a bit separate. Like I, you know, I I, I like to think that I was a uh, deeply engaged, connected young person who had the profound ideas about the golden thread that runs through life, whatever. And, and I'm sure that I've, I, you know, will continue to form those ideas for the rest of my life. But when I was 18, I think I just loved making music, and I loved hanging out in restaurants and moving fast and slinging plates, selling wines and. I, I don't think I saw as many parallels between them as I do now. I think it was probably when I made the decision to sort of transition away from, from music for a while that uh, I started maybe out of necessity to, to draw more meaning from the work that I was doing with wine uh, and, uh, and, and certainly 
form some, some quite real connections and, and see now how there's a lot of similarities, actually. I want to get to that in a second, but I want to finish sure. your career. 2011, you go to Houston. That's right, and yeah. And then you travel around the world, and you're a freelance opera soloist. Yeah, that's right, yeah. And yeah. what... What is the distinction of that besides being in like a, a part of a company or, or how is it varied? There's, there's a million different ways to crack that nut, you know, and, and it, it, it really just depends on um, what, what opportunities are available to you as an individual and what's suitable for you. There's a million factors that could in, you know, inform the decision, bureaucracy being one of them, you know, there are, uh, um, your, your personal situation. But for me, uh, I would, you know, been given the opportunity to anchor myself in one country uh, working for one company predominantly, but then also have a little bit of time exploring, you know, projects in other cities was a really exciting way to to get into the biz, and, and it was uh, certainly a pretty enviable way to start. Yeah. Um, and what is it? Do you get like an email or a phone call? It's like we have an aria emergency. <laughs> Sometimes you do, yeah. And I mean, the, most of the scheduling for classical music is done years in advance. You yeah. sort of know what you're going right. to be doing in you know, two or three years time. And if you're, if you're lucky, even, you know, further in, in advance, which can give you time to make, you know, strategic choices about how to learn things, how to prepare for roles, how to make personal time in your life in and around it, etc. But, uh, I mean, when you're young and you're, you know, you're uh, scrapping with everyone to see what you can get. And someone phones you and says, you know, are you able to, at the drop of a hat, be somewhere in 36 hours and perform something? You know, uh, if you know if it's in your body and your head, why not? Can you can you yeah. tell almost like a wine that's had enough time to age? Can you actually hear someone perform when they're performing opera and be like, they've actually prepared years for this wall? Can you can you tell when they've had more time to prepare? Yeah, well, I, I would I, I would say generally yes, you can because it, it, it's such a, a detailed and involved process to prepare one of the great roles. You know, sort of a Tristan or a, you know a Nortello or something like that. It's sort of um, is a tour de force uh, in terms of the, the, the physical stamina that's required, and you know, a, a, to, in order to interpret it beautifully and actually bring something uh, of, of your own humanity to uh, a very established work of art, I think that it's theoretically possible to uh, to, to breeze through, through it in, in one way, but you'll never have the nuance and the detail. And so, I think that the great interpretations probably almost always come from a lot of preparation. Yeah. Okay, same question, both fields. Okay. How many times do you need to sing a piece to feel like you've really gotten it? To the ability that you can say that I've got it, knowing that no one ever changed perfection. And how many bottles of wine did you feel that you had to taste before you were like, okay, I can really feel very, very secure in my tasting as a song? Look, you, uh, Considering I, the fact that you're always learning. Of course. Yeah. I mean, if, if I, I'd say that, that as much as um, how many times you might perform or how many bottles you might open, I think it's about the time you put into it. So I definitely believe in that 10,000 hours thing. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm a huge uh, believer in the fact that, 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 it, that it just does take immersion and dedication to something, uh, you know, in a, sometimes a really considered way, in a really productive way, sometimes in a wildly unproductive way, you know, but to actually spend your time engaged you know with 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 the process will actually help you you know come as close to mastering it as you might and 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 i don't know i I've, I've spent tens of thousands of hours working on certain registers in my voice and i've spent tens of thousands of hours polishing fucking glasses and i've spent tens of, you know and tens of thousands of hours drinking beaujolais and i you know it's just something that you yeah it, it's a more a question of time i think 
2013, you take a sabbatical. Yeah. What leads to that decision and what takes you back on the path to being into wine full time? I was thinking about this, uh, trying to organize my thoughts about today, actually. Um, I mean, it was, it was a mixture of things. I mean, I, I was a little disenfranchised with the, the, the music industry that I was in rather than the, the, than the practice itself. Um, I think that, it, that for a lot of people, it can be really wonderful and really rewarding, but I found it very tough and I was pretty young to be doing the work that I was doing. And I don't necessarily think that, that whilst the opportunities were there, some of the, the support that was probably going to be essential to making it successful was coming along with it. And so I found myself feeling a little out of my depth, you know, and, uh, and, and decided I needed, I needed to take a bit of a break. Um, I had a death in the family at the, the exact same time that I was making that decision. And I think that, that you know, life just hits you sometimes. And, and then all of a sudden you find yourself doing different things. I knew that I needed uh, an escape from, from that kind of work for a period of time. And returning to wine made perfect sense because it's not something just something that I that I enjoy and knew what I was doing but it's something that I felt like I could really thrive and relish my time at work uh, it's, it, it certainly requires discipline and requires a lot of you uh, to be engaged emotionally but in a different way I think and so it, it seemed like a good transition and obviously it was a comfortable fit because that was you know coming up on well five and a half years ago now uh, and uh I now own a restaurant and a wine shop, so uh, yes, that's yeah, it. <laughs> and I haven't performed in five years, so you know it's just a pause. Yeah. It's just a, we're gonna get you <laughs> just just a couple more bottles of Merlot, and we'll get you up on the tables. The, la- <laughs> the laughing heart, where we are, uh, just past its two-year mark. What was the intention, and what was missing in the London wine scene that led you to open this place? Well, look, uh, the intention uh, the for me with this with this place. Uh, you know, there, were, there were many, but one of the things that I wanted to enjoy was the opportunity to be creative in an entirely new way. I mean, you know, I'm very, very comfortable and experienced working on the floor and, 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 have, and have done that for a lot of other people and enjoyed doing that, making their businesses run well and all that kind of thing. But I, you know, and I wanted that opportunity for myself, but I also wanted to design the place from the ground up, build as much as I possibly could, curate the whole experience and, and sort of evolve the way I was working. Um, so, I mean, and, and the only way to do that is to take the risk of, of opening your own place. And so, that, so that, that was sort of one of the original intentions of it. And what, what I also had gleaned from my time working in the London restaurant scene was that there was a lot of fantastic things happening in East London. There's a lot of people who work in the business who gravitate towards this neighborhood. There's a really fantastic audience receptions for, for the kind of products we like is great. But there was a type of cuisine that I think is very suitable to the pairing with, with the kind of wines that I'm interested in uh, that, that hadn't been explored as much. And I also think that people need a place to go late at night, man. You know, like it's so hard in London. There's just nothing cool. And so when I found a building with a 2 a.m. license, it felt like a real opportunity. And how does that for us uh, from America, how does that work? How does, like, you have to grandfather it in or how, how yeah, does the building it, get it, licensed? It's, it's inherited. So the the, uh, the, the premises licenses in, in this uh, country are assigned through the local municipal city bodies, the councils, and are tied to the building rather than to an individual. And so... There are some buildings that through good luck or, you know, some intelligent planning a long time ago have some really fantastic premises licenses. I mean, this place, we can trade until two in the morning and serve booze. We also have an off license. We can sell wine to take away. These are things that, that, that are quite unique properties for a restaurant space. And it felt like um, the thing to explore because it's one of the essential components to, the, to this particular building. 
you know, it, 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 yeah, it's like we would be we would be upset if we came in here and we knew it could be over till two and it closed at twelve. Sure, people, people would be why? Like, what are you doing? Yeah. Please do a pop up. Please do anything. So you knew from there that. And so what? So when? Uh, well, to t- touch on the cuisine. What was the cuisine that was you felt would be well paired with this that you did not see was being served out there? It was a, it's a lot of the stuff that sort of uh, I was inspired by when I was um, working in Australia. Um, things, things with a, with, a, with an Asian influence and just sort of a slightly more kind of irreverent thing. I mean, so much of the the really fantastic gastronomy that's tied into kind of natural wine restaurants in London is pinned to the the the, the, the fantastic legacy and dynasty of someone like Ed Wilson that's centered around. Terrines and and, and, and and ostensibly classical continental food, and I think that that's highly appropriate. I think it's delicious, and I'm a huge huge advocate for it. But why not fuck with some Asian flavors as well? And you know, with the thing about some of these wines, uh, the, the way they smell and taste, for a lot of people, there's no reference point. So why not try to explore food and and and, and, and change the reference point there as well and see where they intersect. Um, I mean, fundamentally, tasty is what we do here. Like, I, I don't, there's nothing weird about the, the cooking, but it's sort of not unusual to eat a very authentic regional pasta dish from Italy and have like a sort of some sort of Vietnamese salad on the same menu at our restaurant. And, and it does work well in sequence and it works well with the wine. And it's reflective of the uh, kind of contemporary gastronomy of London and, and, and the diversity that we have here. So. It's really interesting. So if they don't have a reference point for the wine, why tie it to a reference point that they might have for food? Because they might not understand the wine or it might take away from them under unlocking the different totally. flavors and, and those of the wine. And I, I think that there are so many ingredients within restaurants that are often overlooked nowadays. I mean, restaurants are romantic places that are, that are made up of so many moving parts. I think that the design of the space, the way it functions, the way it flows, the service details, uh, you know, the wine you serve. I think this is all as important an ingredient into making a complete experience as what is coming out of the kitchen. And so, it, I, I don't know, I, I wanted to break the wheel a little bit. Uh, I, 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 not, not for the sake of it, but because it felt like the right thing to do. And it, it still does, very much. We're going to take a quick musical break. Cool, dude. And we'll be back here on Snacky Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. <laughs>
This episode is brought to you by Sake Man. What is Sake Man? Sake Men are judo athletes wearing Lucha Libre inspired masks that act as sake heroes. This team of athletes moonlight as sake educational professionals spreading sake to the world. Learn more about their mission and their favorite sakes at saketotheworld.com. That's saketotheworld.com. You and I spoke about before um, the similarities between the analysis and the addressing of a wine and the formation of sounds as a singer. I really want people to understand that because it's something we've touched on over the years here, but you are literally the embodiment of this manifestation of someone because rock bands are fine. We've had people who are in rock bands and that's three chords and, and no, no offense to that, it's amazing. But the complexities of opera, the understanding of opera, you can't just casually be like, oh, I'm going to sing an opera tomorrow or pick up, although you can if you have the training, as you said. And the same thing about wine. You can drink wine and drink it casually, but to really understand it, that, that 10,000 hours. So now that you're not 18 and now that you have chance to see the golden thread. As I'm you very said, wise now. Now yeah. that now the, the, <laughs> the wise age of 32, that you've had time to think about it. And I'm sure with your musician friends, you've gone long into the night about the discussion. What have you found? Well, I think it, I think it is interesting that you know, I did start to see so many more parallels between these worlds and, 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 and how to interpret them as I... As, as I've become older, and I think that word interpreting is very, very important. I think that it, the one key similarity to being a sommelier and to being a uh, to being a singer of uh, a classical singer is that I mean, I, you know, I'm not the songwriter and I'm not the winemaker. I'm an interpreter of somebody else's material, you know. Like I, I and I and so I think that uh, um, what it comes ultimately comes down to is the the, the, the fundamental uh, core between the 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 work of making music and the work of, 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 of sharing these wines is the story, right? And, 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 and what is it that you're doing to, uh, to, 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 to tell it uh, to, and, to, and to tell it well. And I, I think that, that there, are, uh, there are ways that you might think about the formation of sound that are not dissimilar to the ways that you might think about the technical analysis of a wine. I mean, for me, I, I found that found that huge. Can you give an example? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I think a lot about sound and aroma uh, in um, a complex mixture of geometric shapes and colours and uh, I, I, things that, that I can that I can touch and I can grab and I can move. It's like synesthesia. Well, I, I think I quite acutely experienced that when I was when I was into my teens. I actually feel like I fucking saw these things, and now it's more of a, an imagination of those ideas. But uh, you know, it, it would, it's, it's not. Um, it, it, I mean, for for, for, for example, you know, I, I might be able to say to myself that I felt like a, um, the, the the color of my voice needed a redness to it that I that, uh, that has a black you can't get from blue, you know, or like, and like and uh, and, and the, the, the way that I might achieve that is by. Shifting the, uh, uh, you know, shifting the sphere, uh, you know, forty-five degrees or, or around or, or something, and and, and that sort of when you can see you know, when you when you put your nose into a glass and those shapes might appear, you're not, you're not making them, they're, they're they're being made for you, but you get to you get to interpret them and you get to analyze them, and you might might have you to understand what this what ha- might happen to this wine with the passing of time, whether it be just airing in a decanter or in the glass or aging in a bottle for another decade, you know, it's it, it sort of, the flow of it all starts to, to take shape. 
So you'll taste a wine. Um, I when we were here on Monday, you mentioned like you're leaving a bottle in the corner because it needs more time. Yeah. It, does it need more red or black or more? It's a triangle, but it needs to be in like an octagon. Is, is that how you see it? Sometimes, yeah. It's like or, 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 that, or that that black might become a bit more translucent, you know, over time. And sort of uh, there, there's uh, there's there's lots of different ways, or, or, or that it, it might just start, the, the way that I want it to, to to go, the way that I suspect that it might my transition is going to make me feel a certain way as well. You know, so it's not always um, color or shapes. It's about sort of emotional states as well, and being able to kind of access those, and then also articulate what you're accessing um, for yourself in the first instance, but then for whoever you're describing it to. Have you ever been with a winemaker who asks for your advice or asks your opinion to describe something, and it just transports you back to being back in the classroom? Have you heard any like education or wording in the way that people will be able to move the process forward that is similar to the way that people talk about advancing musicians? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it, absolutely, and, I, and, and, and thankfully, in, in not just those disciplines, you meet people in, in you know, or in, in regular life who, the discussion of any subject can be quite inspiring educators. And so whilst it mightn't be as like sort of transportative to some, some sort of classroom experience, I definitely have, have had enge you know, engaging conversations with people in my life that, that uh, you feel like they not only do they know what they're talking about, but they know how to talk about what they're talking about. They know how to like, so, I mean, that's, I, I would, I would love to just spend my entire life surrounded with people like that. That would be amazing, you know. And, and I, I would love to be someone like that one day, you know. Like that's a, the, you know, it's an amazing idea, something to aspire to. Yeah. One of the great things about talking to you is that you are front of house owner, which used to be how it was up until I'd say like the seventies when the chef came out and the, yeah. the rise of the chef owner. It's a performance. Absolutely. And this is another kind of uh, sort of comparison, if you would like to draw, between the worlds of being a, uh, uh, you know, a performer on the stage and a performer on the floor. It's a different kind of performance. You need to be prepared in both. But when you're actually a la minute on the, in the restaurant floor, it's uh, much more improvisational, right? Because the variables coming from the beautiful guests who you're there to take care of. And, and so you're responding to what they're bringing and what they're bringing, you have no idea. You've got to, you've got to assess that quite quickly. And I, I, I relish the uh, interaction with every person because it's sort of, you know, who, not only who are you, but who are you today? Like, what, what, is, what is what you're in the mood for? Uh, how do we thread the needle um, with you? And what element of, of uh, my performance do I need to give? What authentic version of myself do I need to be to make sure that, that happens? What are some of the flourishes or the trills that you will throw onto a, a nightly performance? Wow, I mean, they, they're, they're often quite interior things because I think that it needs to happen table to table to table. I think that everyone's experience needs to be a little bit different generally. Uh, and so um, they're, they're, they're often quite subtle. But I mean, um, look, it can be as simple as knowing when to flirt, when not to flirt, when to, you know, make the table feel very in by telling them about the joint you smoked last night or something like that or swearing or, you know, like there's, there's a million different ways that you can be yourself that can help people feel like they're getting something really for them as well. What is played in the restaurant? It's uh, it's an eclectic mix. It's, it's pretty hilarious actually. Cause I, I'm pretty um, strict with the, with the music. I, I, I curate the, the no surprise. Yeah. <laughs> because you know, it, it's an important ingredient and, and, and it, it might be a little bit repetitive for the staff, but you know what? In the music that plays here gets a lot of compliments. It's a lot of old school hip hop. 
uh, mostly East Coast stuff. Um, there's a, a lot of a lot of artists that I that I that I love and who I might have met and been inspired by over the years. So we have people like Ed Motto on the on the playlist and you know Mad Lib and like other people who love wine and you know like sort of into it as well. Um, there's, I mean, there's some there's there's a lot of funk. Uh, it's, it's it's music that makes people feel cool is is the most essential thing. Uh, there's you know there's, there's there's things that are nostalgic for me because I often find that if you know just that just me being it, it brought transported to a happy place can be a, have a positive impact on the the dynamic of the floor as well. So I mean it's, it is it is hilariously controversial at the laughing heart, but why I've explained to everyone is that why controversial? Because I, I mean look, I, the beautiful people who work for me might want to you know sort of have some involvement from time to time, but it's like that's not how it works here you know I, that's like it's I, would, I would say i'm sorry but i'm not yeah well that, and that's that something i'm brazenly unapologetic about the you know kind of three and a half four hours of music that plays on a loop and we i add to it when i can but it but you know what it works and it's a functional tool as well as much as anything and so uh, if it ain't broke don't fix it and, and, and I, I personally still derive a great deal of pleasure out of every song how is it a functional tool for you well, it's it's a functional tool in the respect that it that it that it, it sets an ambience. It, 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 well, it it's not it's not exclusively responsible for it, but it's an ingredient that can that can help create an atmosphere in in, in, a, in a room. Uh, it, it, it's it's one of the things that tells a story. It's like the lights. It's like the art on the walls. It's like the dishes or the wine or you know the server. I mean, it's 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 a theatre. This whole thing, right? And and it's 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 just part of your set piece, you know. Charles, thank you for making time for me today. Where can people find you? How can they visit you? What are the hours one more time for the people <laughs> who are now that know? Everyone who is keen should definitely come visit us at the Laughing Heart. We're open Monday to Saturday. We're at the kitchen and bar open at 6.30 p.m. and we're open until 2 in the morning. We serve food until 1. We also have a wine shop in the basement, the car, where we're sat right now. And that is open from 2 p.m. to 2 a.m. six days a week. So come and see us. The fact that I'll you can here. get an incredible bottle of wine at like 1.55, six days a week Dude. is... It's, totally. I, I mean, we can't even get that in America. Yeah, uh, that's it. it, it it's a uh, it's a growing part of what we're doing, and uh, yeah, and I, I think I think it's uh, an exciting part of our unique offering. Yeah. Okay. See you at one fifty-five tonight. Sweet, dude. Uh, we're gonna take a quick musical break, and then we'll be back with the second half of Snacking Tunes.
Enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. My name is Dave Arnold, and I'm the host of Cooking Issues here on Heritage Radio Network. Every week, I answer listeners' questions on the latest innovative techniques, equipment, and ingredients in the food world. Have a question about hot rodding your oven to make great pizza? Give us a call. Hydrocolloid, sous vide, liquid nitrogen? No problem. You can find Cooking Issues wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. Hello, and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am one half your host, Darren Bresnitz, coming from the Legendary Danger Bird Record Studio in Silver Lake. We are here with the Pantheons, Xavier, Sebastian, Omar, and Gary. Welcome to Snacky Tunes. What's up? Hey, what's going on? Um, so most people know Compton as a place for hip-hop and that music scene from the 90s, but there's a whole new music scene coming out of it, which you guys are a part of. Uh, for those unfamiliar with that music scene, can you tell people about what's going on in the backyards of Compton these days? Um, well, who wants to start up? Who wants to go? Uh, I'll kick Paul, it off. Um, yeah, well, we started playing Backyards like about a year and a half, maybe two years ago. Well, we, we're, we've all been playing the Backyard scene for years since we were kids, because that's the cool thing about Backyard shows and the punk scene in Compton and South Central, Downey, Long Beach, all those areas is that, you know, all you need is like a couple buddies, and, you know, they don't even have to know how to play as long as they just show up, you know, <laughs> and we've just been playing since we were like 12, 14, you know. So, like, the scene in Compton right now, like, everything's punk, ska, psychobilly, and uh, metal. And uh, what we're doing, it's, um, it's something different. Like, throwing in, like, 
elements of like goth and dark wave and stuff. So that's what we're doing. And it's a cohesive scene, right? It's not just like a band here, a band there. Like there really is a good community vibe there. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. We got yeah. like a lot of up and coming bands, you know, we, you know, that we play with. NNN, Freedom Curse, Diversity, uh, Nocturnals. You know, like we all play shows together. Like you know. And how did you individually find yourselves? And the neurotics? No, sorry. No, no, shout out. We're big, we're big shout on shout outs here. Um, but how did you guys find your way into the scene? What drew you to it? Um, did you come in as fans first, or did you start a band and that's how you made your way fans, in? Fans, I think fans I think and music, really. Definitely. Yeah, whatever was playing on the radio at the time. Yeah. So. Um, and is it fun to like come in as a fan and start your own band and play with the guys that you were fans of? Oh hell yeah! I think the, I think that's the best like part is like reading the music and like I just because you guys hang out. Like I think once you become a band, you become family. Mm-hmm. So you're mm-hmm. kind of seeing each other. It's on like the a day. second marriage. <laughs> it is. It is. Like, people don't realize um, stuff that's going on internal till you're inside the band. Yeah. And that's when you realize everything. But the good thing you get to kind of it's like a family member. You have to take everything, you know. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, it's a good place to have another place to go, right? Yeah. Like, oh, it's like definitely. It is. Yeah. It is. You need that. Um, you need that. That Outlet. breather. Like, yeah. I mean, how's it all been important for you to have this community and this scene that's really your own, um, and not having to, you know, come to downtown or come over to like oh, Silver Lake? Exactly. Like, like what's it like to grow something out of your own home? It's it's awesome. Well, we had a show yesterday, which was actually was at your house, right? Yeah, it was exactly <laughs> right in my house. That's the first, you know, it's cool, you know, because you know we don't have to rent out a venue, we don't have to, you know, worry about any of that stuff. It's just if someone has a backyard and they're like, hey, I want to do a show here. Boom, we set up a date, and that's it. If it gets rated, it gets rated. But, like, we don't, you know, we're, like, super DIY. Like, we're, like, like if we want to do something, we do it then and there. We don't rent out clubs or any of that I mean, we don't stuff. mind playing clubs either. Yeah, we don't mind it. Don't <laughs> hey, just for the record, we're available for booking. We're available for a green room. Uh, yeah. So. Um, so for those who are unfamiliar with uh, the Pantheons, how did you guys get started? Uh, tell us a little bit about the band. Um... Well, Paul started the band. When did the band start, Paul? Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Well, we started well, officially, officially as a band, because, you know, like, you know, at first you, you come up yeah. with, like, a thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. and you're just, like, dudes jamming out. You like, don't even have your real? own sound. Like, this is not real. Yeah. Like, this is the thing. Uh, mad members coming in and out. But yeah. officially, officially, I would say January 2017, where I toured with these two guys. We went to this random tour in uh, San Francisco, like January of 2017, that's when we came out with our first EP as well, uh, last year. And um, yeah, that's when we officially began. I just wanted to do something different, you know, because we've been part of the scene since forever. And, you know. Right, because the scene is like, you know, is mostly punk. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what you were saying before, but you guys do have this goth element to it, which is a little bit, which is funny because that's sort of how the history of punk was. Like punk was like one thing, and uh-huh. then as it went on, exactly. it started yeah. to bring in these different elements yeah. and evolve. And, and it turns into goth. Yeah. It turns into and goth. And we're trying to bring that back, you know, because right. people forget that, you know, goth, you know, Squirrels and chipmunks are goth to punk, you know? <laughs> goth is punk. That's where it came from. Yeah, um, how do people react to that? I mean, it is it is a unified scene, but when you start to do something different, sometimes people get a little... Yeah, oh, a, no, a little, yeah. like, uh, you, eyebrows raised. You're going to have those people that are going to end up jumping off your chip and stuff and then joining something else or... I'm not cool with it, but we, we were doing the, the gigs, remember, first? And then yeah. it was weird, like, people didn't accept it, like, when we were first playing. Yeah. And that's when I think we started, like, we should do our own gigs because people weren't, 
Yeah, they weren't true. responding, right, Paul? Yeah, like, yeah, they were responding. You know, like. Yeah, because you know they didn't know whether to pit to it or skank to it or what to do to it. They didn't know what to do with it. So yeah. like, nah, I'd rather not. not yeah, sometimes you got to people show people what to do with their hands <laughs> in a new situation, <laughs> but then they figure it out that it's all come from the same place, right? Yeah, yeah. but I think like like because the, well, the new wave of punks now are like way more accepting of. Like what we're doing, yeah, so like uh, they dance, they yeah. do whatever the heck they want, and we condone it. <laughs> awesome. Well, let's uh, let's hear a song. Let's hear. It. What are you gonna play for us first? All right, the next one is called Motel. It's a new one. We're gonna play some new ones today. Okay, cool. All right, well we got Motel by the Pantheons here on Snacky Tunes at Dangerbird on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. <laughs>
Uh, welcome back. That hey, ramp. Uh, I do like the sound. I do like the vibe. Um, you know, LA has a long tradition of punk. Uh, germs, XCC, Axe, yeah. things like that. Um, and I know that, uh, <coughs> Gary, you're talking about Misfits, which is not yeah. exactly LA. No, no. But, but, you know, it's like the LA scene, like everything, everyone yeah. from New York, even you know, Sex Pistols made it out here. So, what from like the original punk scene, like what are you pulling from, if both musically and then aesthetically, like what's your approach uh, to your music? What did you love from the past? Punk stuff like oh, we're man. definitely fans of early punk, you know 77. Yeah, I mean 82 UK 82.2 But definitely we get a lot from from 70s punk bands. Yeah, yeah, and then we all love misfits honestly yeah. like, That was kind of a weird thing that we clicked off in the beginning yeah. Yeah. We're all, we deliver, like, or Sam Hain. They're, they're LA yeah. based <laughs> he's, he's, <laughs> he's, he's, he's Definitely. But um, but um, yeah, we get a lot from 70s punk because it's it, when when that wave of punk came out, or that you know the first wave of punk came out, like everybody sounded different. You know, Blondie was punk, Ramones were punk, The Damned were punk. You know, all these first bands like Talking Heads. You know, they were all the new wave of like music at the time, and like they all sounded different. You know, it wasn't until like later on that all those bands started you know getting pigeonholed into the spiky hair studs and stuff. Right. So we were really like that early stuff because their influences were like. You know, T-Rex and Glam and all that stuff, so... Yeah, it was, uh, you know, in reading Please Kill Me and, like, learning about, like, the punk scene back then. It was just... (laughs) It was about having a place in a community, which is so much of what you guys are having now, and it was less about being... uh, You're more rhythm guitar than a a fast guitar. It was like, oh, you got keyboards. It was just... We all hung out the same place and played music. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Um, Now, you guys have your own monthly night, too, right? Which, I guess, you were saying came out of... Finding it something to do that was your own. Um, How did you start your own night? Why do you want to start your own night? What's it called? Uh, it's called Goth Night. Beautiful, uh, love um, it. Yeah, you know, simplicity, but um, <laughs> nothing too fancy. Well, yeah, we did that because yeah, we were tired of like the ska scene and you know we we love the punk scene and the metal scene and all that, but you know we wanted to do something our own, you know, something no one was doing, you know. And so, what's a Goth Night like? Oh, it's pretty awesome. It's, uh, it's, it's like the Blackest you'll ever see. <laughs> <laughs> we got the we got this uh it's just nothing is, but like dressing dress code like yeah, you, you get a discount if you yeah. show up in all black yeah, yeah. 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 we, we haggle kids like if they have like you know they come with like band shirts like with a white print we're like nope yeah, yeah. <laughs> all black just, just to fuck with black. them yeah all black no but it's all fun <laughs> no we fuck yeah. with them but yeah. Cool, yeah yeah we get only we only get like two or three bands. Cause most of it is like to throw in that 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 80s goth club vibe, you know. Yeah. But for like a lot of kids that can't go to clubs, you know, or all that stuff, like we bring it to the backyard scene. I mean, um, you. I mean, the fact that it's all ages is pretty important uh, to give access to people who are younger. Why do you guys like doing all ages show? What do you get of a different vibe at those types of uh, uh, events? Uh, there's there's more of a rush because you know kids don't care. They just you know they do whatever I, they want. I would say like when I was younger too, it was more taboo. And, it was, uh, I and remember so, um, now it's like they kind of have that. Uh, I, I would have to say that the parents now are more lenient, so they're like, all right, there's nothing that bad. Um, right. Uh, 80s bullshit. Like a lot of them like that shit. So, <laughs> right. So it's cool, you know? Like, they're like, can I come? Yeah. yeah can I come hang yeah, out in the I back? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my god, this is my music. Yeah. So, <laughs> parents so, are the roadies too. Yeah, yeah exactly. Which so, like, is cool. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, they're surprisingly, there's some bands that have their parents as roadies. And so, or managers. Yeah. They're looking out for them, making sure. I feel like it's. A good idea for kids who are don't got that chance or can go. I mean, 
if you're gonna get fucked up, get fucked up responsibly, you know. Well, didn't you say that? Because a lot of times punk is such a like a, a angry or like need a response to like a bad family life yeah. or like things are not good. But it seems like it's swung back where parents now can find a bond over the music that yeah. you guys are helping share with these kids. Yeah, because a lot of the the punks from like you know the '80s or this you know the they '90s or whatever. Them. Yeah, their parents were like what baby boomers or something. You know they came you know. But now the the kids from you know this generation, their parents were the the punks or you know the rockers and stuff. They so they're more relate. accepting. Yeah, they can relate. Yeah. They can relate because they went to shows of their yeah, own and yeah, things yeah. like yeah. that. They know it's, it, there's bad elements. <coughs> Not if you you know embrace those elements, then you should be good. Mm. Awesome. Uh, well, let's hear another song. All right. What are you guys gonna play for us? Uh, this next one is called Ben's. No, it's called uh, Belasco Tendency. It's a new one. Awesome. Well, another new jam. From the Pantheons at <laughs> Dangerbird Record Studios. Let's do it, guys. Um, Here on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Hey, yeah. Let's do this. Let's that shit up.
Another heater. A real ripper. Yeah, it's man. It's a banger, man. Nothing but ragers. The funnest one to play. Um, <laughs> now, you guys have been playing out for a while. When did you decide that you wanted to start recording? How did that work? Um, at what point do you start saying we got enough songs that we want to, you know? I think that's when well, you put it right now. Like when, when people started noticing and started being like, hey, you guys are good. It's like, fuck, now we got to come out with a demo or something, like music to put yeah. here. Well, because, I mean, how much of it, of this scene is live shows versus recording, uh, or is it a mix? You know, it's like, you, you know, you're putting out a lot of songs on Bandcamp or, you know, digital platforms or 7 Inches versus playing as many shows as possible. Well, I think playing shows comes yeah, first. I think yeah, Because we haven't recorded in about a year. We're going to head back to the studio and do a new, uh, a new album. That should be due... I want to say f late January, early February, but um, mostly live shows. You know, that's that's yeah. that's the main thing. We play almost every weekend. Yeah, because you know, mm -hmm. we, we love it. You know, um, let's talk about that first EP, Ballet, Ballet of Gunfire. Mm -hmm. uh, how did it come about? Uh, what was the process? Oh man, well, Paul, like he shot me a bunch of ideas for song names, and um, that one was cool. I thought it was like, what should slap it on the EP, you know? Yeah. It was a good name. Like, no, it, it was good. Cool. They were At that time, they were working at it together. I think it was just them yeah. two because they were kind of having trouble with um, members. But, like, when I heard first heard the bass lines, he shot them to me, and I was like, wow, like, I love it. Like, so yeah. Was, yeah, we started playing it, but they were coming up with a lot of stuff. So, cause, uh, right now, we're not, well, yeah, like Paul said, we're going to go back and record <coughs> it. But, uh, yeah, those little things, I don't know if we'll come up with, like, EPs or little singles here and there throughout the time. We might, you know, uh, we've done it before, but... Right now, I think we're just focused on trying to record the album. Awesome. Now, and shows. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I know merch was such a big part of the yeah, punk scene. Is that yeah. big for you guys, like, doing the DIY shirts and everything like that, or is it... Oh, definitely, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. I, mean, I feel like now it's like that weird crossover with, like, Supreme Unlimited Drops, and bands mm -hmm. now are doing, like, we're going to make 20 of these shirts, and you get them at the shows, yeah. and we'll make 20 different shirts. Yeah. yeah, it's like they ride, you know, the waves of, like, certain aesthetics, and, you know, they go with it, especially, like... Yeah, with Supreme and all that stuff and SoundCloud rappers, like, they have, like, a specific look and they cash in on it. Yeah. And everybody cashes in on it. Yeah. But, yeah, for us, aesthetics is, like, super important. Well, for me, personally, when I make, like, the visuals, because, you know, uh, I'm an art major, so, like, all the, you know, visuals just, I love them, you know? You know, color coordination or, you know, art pieces that just look neat. I just look at album covers and, you know, just get ideas, just different stuff, you know? I mean, I've always loved that about sort of the punk underground scene is that it's all uh, sort of one art voice and there's just different ways to represent it, whether it's the music or the pins mm -hmm. that you guys make or the shirts that you make. Uh, how do you find the best way, like what's the best ideal of representing your whole vibe? Um, fuck, I guess pins right now. <laughs> 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 we have some pins. I'm going to forget, guys. Remember when we went to San Fran, uh, we had we took stickers and shirts. Oh, yeah, yeah. And we had our, our first gig. We were so, we were kind of nervous. We went on the road and this guy told me, I literally joined the band like a month in, I think. <laughs> a month prior. Yeah, a month yeah, prior yeah. and he told me, you want to go? And I, I wasn't, with my band, we were kind of delaying and we went over there and they embraced us when we played in, yeah. what city yeah, was it? Yeah, uh, um, Ventura. Oh, Ventura. Ventura, we played yeah. there and it was embracing. Like, I, this is literally like, we were in the room, we were playing, we played the first song, and I look up and I see these guys all into it 
and the room was packed, dude. Like it was like everybody was dancing. I mean, yeah, and that was like a year ago. In comparison to you know, one year ago the scene is different than now. Yeah. But one year ago, like that was like, Alvin Compton though. Yeah, Compton was like you know they didn't really care for our stuff. We had to play out of the city. Yeah, we had to play out of the city because people didn't understand the music that was trying to we're trying to do. And, and now, and now, no, definitely. People have embraced you. What yeah. was that? What was the change? Like, when did people? When did you realize that the people? When they finally get it together oh, and well, like embrace you and understand what you were doing? Well, actually, I like to think that they. I guess all right. So like, because there's like the, this new wave of punk, and before like a year, two, five years ago, it was like the punk scene was like mostly dominant in like South Central and like downtown LA and stuff like that. But like. Now it's more leaning towards like North Long Beach and like like it's like a new wave of punks that kind of came on and they they dug it more than the old ones but then the older heads like they're like oh well okay you know well, well the young kids like it right oh yeah. yeah I mean how fast like let's say I were to dip out of the scene for three or four months and then come back in right. how different would it be how fast is it changing what's influencing that ch- that rapid change. It changes, you know, very... I think that... It's, it's very just, volatile. I think yeah. people got tired of it, like... Because like, it was... I think ska and punk has been so dominant in an area that people were just fed up with it. Because you go to shows, and it's like sometimes it would just be our punker friends there, and they're watching them. Like, when I used to go to shows, I'm talking about a while ago, but we would just be watching it. And like, hey, what's happening this weekend? Oh, it's a ska show. We're like, oh, we'll just stay home. Yeah. yeah. Like, it was no, the same yeah, old... Was, you're like, oh, like, you're just a ska band doing the ska sound that yeah. you saw the show. Yeah. Like, Don't get me wrong, we have friends that play in ska bands, and we appreciate it, but it was just so dominant that yeah. it's kind of like, okay... I think that if you would leave for three months and come back, you probably wouldn't find anything right away, but mm. there's always something going on. Yeah. Dude, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, so, you got the new album coming out, mm. uh, show every week. What do you guys see for the future of the band? What do you guys want to be doing? Well, well, we don't see it. Th- we we always think everything like short term, you know, like we don't think about that far ahead. We just, you know, what we do and we today live in the we now. do. We, we yeah. live in the now. Yeah. yeah, basically, you know, like make the best out of every day. So. Like this is fucking yeah. awesome. I never done yeah. this before. Yeah. I would like Thanks to do for this coming. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for having us. Yeah, 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 yeah. We, we appreciate it. We appreciate it a lot. Yeah. lot more too. But like, yeah, we always think short term, you know, because yeah. like we don't like. Like after this, we're gonna be like, what's next? Yeah. yeah, yeah, we don't like that mentality. It's just like, oh, tomorrow, you know, so and so has a pin machine. Let's go make pins. All right, you know, just you know, make a goal for like every week. Mm-hmm. We don't see everything like in a monthly or like yearly, you know, Cause plan. Then you that we task do. yourself, and then you get all crazy. exactly because then you know, yeah. and the anticipation for it is, you know, leaves a lot of room for procrastination. Yeah, I hear that. And yeah. Um, are there any other comparable scenes? I know you said San Francisco, but are there other scenes that you're uh, across America? that have the same sort of vibe that's going on in Compton or is it just completely unique to what's happening? I think happening? there is. I think there is. It's just no, I think it's always, it's always yeah. there somewhere. Yeah. I, I would say. Everywhere else I mean, yeah. their own little scene, their own little it'd be, backyard scene. Yeah, it'd I know be. I saw a documentary <coughs> in uh, Mexico City like I think less than two years ago. Oh yeah. And there's a big art scene happening right now too. Like it's not big but it's kind of, it's still there, you know there's what a, I mean? There's a punk scene so, in Pakistan. Yeah, yeah, like it's, you know, I think uh, everything is always around the world. It's just that it's not seen in the light. You know what I mean? Yeah, LA will always get the you know the spotlight because you know that has a history with punk. Yeah. You know, like places like I don't know, like the whiskey, Roxy. What? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. But like other states, like I don't know, whatever other state, Oak you know. Dogs. Florida or whatever, like, you know, they don't oh, get, you know, because who do they have? <laughs> they had Less Than Jake, punk ah. Scott, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. back in the day. Yeah. Shout out to Kong, because Conger, 
the other all right, guy all right. on second dates. He's an old Florida punk guy. <laughs> 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 there he is. I saw him coming in. He's got a has con. They got some yeah. uh, stories out here. <laughs> He's got some stories about going to see No Effect and pickup trucks. Um, and now with the internet, because like back in the day, like it was like writing letters, making phone calls, things like that. But with Instagram, things like that, it's got to be easier to like book shows, build a community, it's right? Easy. It's, yeah, it's like so fast paced. You can yeah. get like. Especially if you have a good reputation, I think. Um, you gotta, still, you gotta be a nice guy, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Like, the best way, because you do good and good things will happen to you. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, pretty much. Awesome. And before we run out, because I want to make sure we have one more song, uh, Omar, I know you own a restaurant. Yeah. Out in Compton, Alexander's world famous Tortas. Yep, yep. Uh, for those who've never been, What's the deal? What's the vibe? Because um, it got music. There's music there too, right? Yeah, like the all the guys eat there. Like it's a rock and roll restaurant. Been, everybody supports there. Yeah. I think the rock scene. The reason we did it too, because like like you said, uh, hip hip hop is so dominant in Compton. Yeah. So when we started doing that. Everybody's like, "What the heck?" Like they would walk in, and you know the food's good. We we tend to our customers. Our our main thing is customer service. Beautiful. Besides the food being, you know, food number fresh. one. Yeah. Equal customer service exactly. and good music. And good music. We're always bumping. We even bump. Um, we bump locals. We bump everything that's happening too. So we we switch it out, and we're we're, we're tending to the neighborhood. I would say. It's we cool to have a clubhouse with good food. Yeah, heck yeah. Oh, yeah. Pretty awesome. Much, yeah. Um, you need vegan oh, options. Vegan <laughs> options. Yeah. You can fry up some, uh, what is it, jackfruit? I don't know. Right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, that's yeah. what I was telling there you. Go. Go. And then Tuesdays, uh, we I have... I wouldn't know nothing about that. I <laughs> Tuesdays, we have uh, music open, so sometimes... Oh, live music. Live music. Every other Tuesday, some bands will come. Like, But some mm. of the guys work, but there's a lot of good bands that come out. Yeah. Like, after you know we punch out of work, like some guys just go and... Chill out at the restaurant and play jam out. Songs. Yeah. We give them some food and everybody's happy, and, you know. Dude, that's awesome. I love it. Well, guys, thank you so much for coming by. Uh, where can people find your music? Where can people find out about your shows? Uh, you can find our stuff on uh, Spotify, um, iTunes, every musical platform, YouTube, if you don't want to pay for that stuff. And um, you could check us out on Pantheon's official on Instagram. And you could email us through there, too. Awesome. The Pantheon's music at gmail.com. And what's the last song we're going to hear? This last song is uh, a more punky one. It's called Benson and Hedges. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, guys. Thank you to Danger Bird. Thank you to everyone. Uh, one last song from Pantheon's, then we'll see you next week on Snacky Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org.
supported by you for our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long subscribe to our newsletter enter your email at the bottom of our website heritageradionetwork.org connect with us on instagram and twitter at heritage underscore radio you can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.